My name is Steve Blummer. I'm the pastor of Family and Adults here at Hope Chapel, and it's good to see you this morning. The month of February is kind of an odd month in that there's a lot of people traveling. Some people are just trying to get away from the weather, so they're going anywhere they can. Some people are on vacation, so they're traveling, and then we have a lot of people traveling to go on mission. And so the attendance of Sunday can kind of be down, and then when you count on that, people who just don't want to drive in the snow, and there's people who are sick, and there's different speakers. Some people just like to stay away from that. Uh, some people like the variation of speakers, but sometimes when the pastor is gone, the feel is a little bit different. And, and so, but we do enjoy that you're here worshiping because it's not about me. It's really about God. That's why you're here. You're here to hear from God's word. You're here to give him your praise and to worship him. And so uh, we hope that you've already been encouraged through song and that you'll be encouraged from God's word for you this morning. The United Parcel Service, UPS, they used to have a saying, I don't think they have, a, have it anymore, but it said, what can Brown do for you? I thought that was probably the dumbest marketing slogan that I've ever heard, but that's just my opinion. But what can Brown do for you? And I feel as a pastor, I get a similar question on a regular basis, and you probably get a similar question when you begin to talk about God or church uh, within your workplace or wherever you're at. Uh, one of my sons on his basketball team, he was talking to one of the kids the other day, and he said, hey, do you go to church? And the kid's like, no. Do you? Yeah, I go to church. It's really fun. You should come sometime. Awkward silence. Because the kid's gearing. He's like, what is church? Why do you go to church? Why do you believe in God? And, he, and he's processing, what, what benefit is it to you to do those things? What can God do for you? What can God do for you? Those are the questions I feel like people are asking. Because people come in here at Hope Chapel every week. They go in churches around the world, and they're going and answering or wondering, what can God do for them? People are coming into church, they're looking for hope. They're looking for a miracle. Maybe they're looking for a miracle in their career or a miracle in their marriage or a miracle in their family or in their finances. They're looking for some hope. They're discouraged. They're beat up. They're filled with anxiety. They're frightened. They're exhausted. They're lost. They're asking the question, what can God do for me right now? And sometimes we as pastors, we feel inadequate in order to give you that word of encouragement to get you going for the next week. We feel like we do a pretty good job of it because it's not just our word, it's God's word that we're communicating. And sometimes, yes, God's word has been used to preach division and condemnation. But Hope Chapel, we want you to understand that God's word is about hope and possibility. It's about potential and anticipation. It's about faith and assurance in the God of the universe. This, this Bible is a collection of 66 books that's written over a span of about 1,500 years by 40 different authors. It's unlike any other religious literature that claims to be from God. It's very consistent in its theme and its language. And that's because it's not really written by just men. They're written by men who are moved by the Spirit of God, 
to write the word of God. The Bible has historical books, but it's not written to tell history. They have poems and poetic literature in there, but it's not merely written so humans can express their worship of God in prose and praise. It's written for us as an example, as instruction and direction and guidance on how to live this life to the fullest while having a relationship with the Creator. So when you read the Bible, I believe that you are hearing God speak. So this morning, we're going to look at God's Word. We're going to look at Psalm chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 19. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs in front of you, I believe this is on page 462. We're going to look at Psalm 19 and answer the question, what can God do for you? I know some of you are thinking, well, it's not about what God can do for me. It's about me and my relationship with God. It's about me coming and worshiping God and giving back to God and, and understanding what He has already done for me. You matter to God, and God can matter to your everyday life. So what can God do? We'll start in verse 1 of Psalm 19. For the choir director, a Davidic psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a groom coming from the bridal chamber. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The psalmist starts out describing creation and how it declares the glory of God and how it proclaims the words of God's handy work. There's a saying that says, if a tree falls down in a forest and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? It's kind of a weird philosophical experiment that ties in observation and reality. If you can observe it, then it's real. If you can't observe it, then it's not real. And so the burden of proof is for those who say, of course it makes a sound. And they say, well, prove it. Well, you'd have to be there to hear the sound, and if that's in, then how do you know if it doesn't make a sound if you're not there? It's just weird. It doesn't make sense. And so it's the other way around. Well, you prove it. You prove that it doesn't make a sound. There's no scientific observation here. And the psalmist is not saying that there are no words, there is no speech, and the sky and the heavens are declaring it, and you can't hear it because you're not in the sky and you're not in the heavens. The psalmist is saying it doesn't need words. It doesn't need to make a sound. Creation simply demonstrates the amazing work of God, and it doesn't need to say anything. It displays and exposes the creative hand of God simply by its existence. It doesn't make an utterance. It doesn't make a sound, but you can observe very much. And perhaps the reason that its voice is not heard is because no one's listening. We're too busy to notice God's creation. I believe if we would slow down and observe what God has created, we would be marveled at the vastness of creation. We would be soon overwhelmed by this idea of how small we really are. 
and what it really means to be able to, to move and to breathe and what is even this idea of existence here on earth? Paul in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, said that God's invisible attributes, His divine power, His divine nature has been clearly seen in creation since the beginning of creation. It's been understood through what He has been made. And so, therefore, people are without excuse. Job in the Old Testament had to stop complaining, giving his complaint, when God shows up and says, I want to ask you some questions about creation. What are the dimensions of the earth? Why is it as big as it is? Why are the clouds at the level that they are in the sky? Why are the oceans so deep? Why are there so many stars, so many galaxies? Why are they so far away? What is space? WPI, don't answer that. What is beyond space? Those are questions that we don't have good answers for. But God has the answers because he put them in place. And he had a purpose when he put them in place. And the writer is saying this creative being wants to speak to you, and he has spoken to you. So listen to his words. Listen to his voice. And the reason that he's writing to you is for your benefit. What can God do for you? He's going to show us five things that God can do for you, five things as I see it. So the first one comes in verse 7. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. God's word can renew your life. Think about that for a minute. God's word can renew your life. The word for renewal is also translated as to return or to rescue. Sometimes we find ourselves in places where we don't want to be. Sometimes those places are emotionally. Emotionally, I don't want to be here. Sometimes those places are mentally. Mentally, I, I don't want to be in this place. Sometimes those places are financially. Sometimes those places are relationally. Sometimes those things are physically. I don't want to be in this place. Sometimes we get to those places because we've made choices and decisions in our life to be on that path. Sometimes they're no fault on our own. This is just where we are. And for many of us, we're in that place and we're just wanting to know how can we return? How can we get back to God? I want to find how to get back to God. I want to get my life back. I want to get to a place where I've had joy and peace and patience and excitement. Because where I'm at, that's not there anymore. There's no joy. There's no love. There's no peace. There's no excitement. We desperately want to get out of the pit. But it seems so large. I don't know how to get out of this pit. For some of us, we're like, I don't even have any more energy to care to get out of this pit. 
I look around at this dirt hole and I say, this is my home. This is where I'm going to be. It can't change. And God's saying, if you would read my instructions and you would obey what I've told you, your life would be renewed. And that's because his word is perfect. Perfect means something that's complete, that's solid. There's nothing missing. There are no any holes. God can fill in that pit, get you something to stand on. We can't say God's word doesn't really have anything for me. It's written so long ago. How can it say anything for me in my current situation? God knows exactly what you're going through. His word is perfect. Paul writes to this young preacher, Timothy, and he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is God-breathed. Is God-breathed. In Genesis, God took man and breathed into him, into his nostrils, the breath of life. Without that breath, man would not be a living being. That same idea is here, that God has taken his word and he has breathed into it life. So these are not just nouns and verbs and adjectives and phrases and sentences. This is God's word that gives life. All scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, may be perfect. You won't have anything missing. You won't be lacking anything. It's the same word as here. You're complete. You're fully equipped to do the good work that he's called you. He renews your life. He gives you a purpose. He says, this is why I've created you. This is why you're here on earth. You're not here on earth just to wander around until the day you die. I'm giving you a purpose. I'm giving you life. Second reason, the second thing that God can do for you, verse 7, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the experienced, inexperienced wise. God's saying that his testimony gives you wisdom. Gives you wisdom. Now, you and I, we're not really as smart as we hope we are or as we think we are. Some of you are certainly smarter than the average bear. But sometimes, many of us, we do things that aren't much smarter than monkeys. For example, I like to tease my kids. Sometimes I see them open a, they're trying to open a package. Maybe it's a, a, a bag of cereal. And you just see them trying to open that bag and open that bag. And I just want to say, whoa, 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 stop. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to make a big mess. Go find a pair of scissors or some type of tool to open the package. I mean, monkeys know how to use tools. Come on. You're smarter than that. And I think God looks down at us, and he sees us struggling in life, and he's saying, whoa, 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 slow down, stop. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to make a mess. I've given you tools. Use the tools. You monkeys, we need to know that we can go to the Bible and we can gain all sorts of wisdom about this life. God has given us the tools. The wise 
are not wise because they are merely wise. They're wise because they're always learning. They're always learning. The wise people, they go to those who have experienced whatever that is that they want to learn. They said, hey, I've heard that you've done this before. I want to talk to you about that. I want to know how to do that. And so they're, they're learning from those who have already learned before them. The thing is, God has seen everything. There's nothing new to him. Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. So whatever you're experiencing, you feel like you're the only person that's ever experienced it? Foolishness. It's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. God's seen it already. He knows the answers to get out of where you're at. He knows the path that you're on. He knows where it leads, and he has the answers for you. So you don't have to try to figure out life on your own. It's really impossible for you to figure out life on your own and to be really, really good at it. Imagine, you can never be the best brain surgeon in the world and to be a master woodworker, to be a professional baseball player, to be a perfect parent all at the same time. It's impossible for you to experience all those things, to be a master at all of those things. I've been at Bible college and seminary for nine years. I came to Christ when I was six. I'm now 40 years old. I've been in church a long time. I've heard a lot of teachings of the Bible. I've read a lot of the Bible. I've read the whole thing. And I can tell you that there's a lot of things in this word that I don't understand, that I don't get. There's a lot of things in there that are a mystery. But I keep learning because God has given me his word, and it's good for me. And the truth is, I don't want to experience everything that there is to experience on my own. I know some of the things that you're going through, and I don't want to experience them. I know some of the things that you've been through, and I don't want to experience those things. But I've gained wisdom because I've heard of what you're going through. It's, it's a privilege that I get as a pastor to hear your struggles, to, to hear where you are in your walk. And for many of you, you don't get to gain that type of experience. Some of you, each week, you write down your prayer requests, you write down your praises. But unless you're in that circle of prayer, you don't get to experience what people are experiencing. So I really encourage you, those who have experience in what God has been doing in your life, to be a testimony, to be bold and courageous and say, I have a story to share. I challenge you to take that connection card in your bulletin and write on there, I have a story to share. We would love to hear your story. And then to challenge you to come up here on a Sunday morning and testify about what God is doing in your life. You may be on a path, you may not be on the other side of what you're experiencing, but you could testify, this is where I'm at, and this is how to have a, a faithful relationship with God right in the midst of it. And you'll be testifying to somebody else who's sitting out there going through or about ready to go through what you're going through. You're making the inexperienced wise. The thing is, we don't get to hear about all the good testimonies that God is doing. 
Many of you probably don't know the story of a family who had to pack up because they couldn't stay where they were, and they've been trying to find a place to move into. They had nowhere to go. They had no idea what they are going to do. They're literally walking out the door with their possessions with nowhere to go, and then the phone rings and says, hey, we've got a place that just opened up. That's the work of God in their situation. Many of you don't hear the stories of people saying, I'm going to tithe for the first time. I've heard people talking about it. I've never done it before. I I want to take this step of faith, and I want to tithe. But I have no idea how my bills are going to get covered this week. I don't have any idea how God's even going to cover that check, but you talk about it, and God says, put me to the test. So I'm putting God to the test. And this week, I secured contracts and clients that's able to cover that check and to give me work for the next three months. For some reason, the day that that check was supposed to be cleared, my tax refund ended up in my bank account. My car broke down. I didn't know how that was supposed to be fixed, but when the garage fixed it, they said, don't worry about it, no charge. That's God working. That's a testimony of God making the inexperienced, making us who are just dumb, making us wise. And you have a story to share. Share that story. That's what God can do for you. Verse 8, going to the next one. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. His guidance makes us glad because they're right or they're fair. The word precept here is really a difficult word to translate as I've understood in my study. It's similar to words such as command, but it carries this idea of to deposit or to number. A command, but it has the idea of to to, to deposit or to number. Uh, It's like someone giving someone a command, go do this, but they're exercising care for change. So when God tells us, I want you to do this, it's not because he's just being militaryish and do what I say just because I said it. He said, I'm, I'm telling you to do this because I'm caring for you and I want to see something change. I want to see something change in you. I want to see something change around you. I want to see something change. I care about you. So he's given us this insight, these instructions, these resources for our life because he wants us to experience joy and excitement and peace. He's given us things so we can be more motivated and be more focused. We can work on the purpose that he's called us. He's depositing into our account the funds necessary to succeed. Every few years, we fill out a census. We tell the government a little bit about who we are, maybe our ethnic background, how many are living here, our social economic status, all of those things. And they take that data, they take that information, and it's determined through those things how much federal funding should go into particular regions for certain programming. That's the idea behind it. The idea is that when federal funding is appropriately distributed, the right amount of people can get the help they need through certain programs. And God's saying, I know exactly what you need. When you're saying, things just don't seem to line up 
in my life right now. God's saying, I can make it work. I know what the numbers are. I can make them work. I'm depositing into your account the funds you need to be successful. That's why God told Joshua, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You're to recite it day and night so that you can carefully observe everything written in it. Why does God want us to observe everything written in it? So that we can make sure he's not mad at us and he doesn't zap us? No, it says, for then you will prosper and succeed. The reason God has given us instructions and commands is because he wants us to succeed. He wants us to profit. And when you can see that God is for you, when you can see that he cares for you, when you can see that God is giving you a purpose, that makes your heart glad. It gives you reasons to rejoice. Moving on, the end of verse 8 says, The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The command of the Lord is radiant or pure, making the eyes light up. God's command, there is no deception in it. He's not trying to trick us to obey him so he can get us for his advantage. There's no riddle or puzzle to solve. There's no code between the letters so that we can unlock the key to heaven. There's none of that. He's telling us, do this. Don't do that. And when you do that, it makes your eyes light up. That could mean that just our face and our countenance, our appearance kind of lights up. We begin to smile a little bit more. How many of you wish you could just smile a little bit more, right? And some of you are very good at fake smiling on Sunday. But your eyes tell a different story. Because if I can look in your eyes, I can find out if you're really hurting, if you're in pain, or if you're filled with joy, you're filled with excitement. Because God says the eyes are the windows to your heart. And when you understand that God is for you, and what he can do for you, your eyes light up. Your countenance is glad. It also could mean that your eyes are just able to see things better. When it's light out, you can see things better than when in the, when, than when in the, the dark. Begin to maybe have your perspectives change. Paul says to the church at Ephesus that he's praying for them, and he's praying that the perception of their mind, the perception of their mind may be enlightened so that they would know the hope of their calling, so that they would understand the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his vast strength. He wants our perceptions changed so that we would understand and see God's greatness, that we would see his ability, that we would see his strength. Not so that we would just look at God and say, God, you're amazing. But that we would say, God, you're, uh, you're amazing. You're great because you do things for me. Your ability is amazing because you give blessings to me after blessings after blessings. Your greatness and your strength is amazing because you're able to, to hold me up. You're able to take care of those strongholds in my life. 
So we see that his commands are pure because they light up our eyes. Lastly, in verse 9 and finishing out the chapter, it says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, which comes from the honeycomb. In addition, this is number five, your servant is warned by them. There is a great reward in keeping them. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule over me. Then I will be innocent and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here God's word warns us from hurting our relationship with the greatest person we can have a relationship with. You and I as humans, we are horrible at relationships. We're horrible at relationships. We say things, we do things that hurt other people, that hurt our relationships, that hurt with, with people who love us. We can do things and say things that hurt our relationship with our kids. We say things and do things that hurt the relationship with our spouse or with our roommate or with our employer or with our employees or with our friends or with our neighbors. We're destroying the relationships around us. We need to understand we need relationships. And God said, I'm giving you some help so you could be better in your relationships. I'm helping you be a better parent or a better grandparent. We have a parenting, grandparenting workshop coming on March 25th. I got my plug-in in there. God's saying, I'm giving you instructions so that you could be a better spouse, you could be a better wife, you could be a better husband. I'm telling you how to be a better employer, how to be a better employee. There's a lot of things that we do that just destroy the relationships in our life. And God's saying, don't hurt the relationship with me. I'll even tell you what I hate, what irritates me, what causes you to sin against me. God's telling us the things that would ruin our relationship with him. What if you had that conversation with your kids or your spouse or your friend or your employer that says, listen, I just, I just want to talk about some of the things that irritate me. When you do those things, oh, it just drives me crazy. And you have that conversation because you want a healthy relationship. You're not doing that because you just want to start firing off things. You just don't want to give them a piece of your mind. You're doing it because you want to build a healthy relationship. And God's saying, I'm telling you the things that sin against me. He's warning us so that we don't hurt that relationship with him. Because why would we want to hurt the relationship with the one who wants to renew our life? The one that wants to rescue us from our doubts and discouragements. The one who wants to give us wisdom. The one who wants to make our hearts glad. The one who wants to brighten up our day. The one who wants to give us a new perspective on how to live this, this life. The one that wants to fill us with joy and excitement. Why would we want to hurt that relationship? So the challenge is for us to get in God's word. 
How much of God's word is in you? How much of you is in God's word? We're always trying to give you the tools to to get into God's word more. One of the ways we're going to do that is this book called Journey to the Cross. You may see them in the lobby. You've already seen them. Um, 40 days leading up to Easter, which this year starts on March 1st, traditionally called Lent. It's 40 days. They don't count Sundays because Sundays are supposed to be mini celebrations leading up to the ultimate celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection at Easter. This is a 40-day Bible reading and devotional. So I challenge you to get these books. They're free. Everyone can have one. Grab one on your way out. And be serious about on March 1st, starting with day one and just reading from God's word, reading a devotional, saying a little prayer, challenging you to be in God's word and see what can God do for you? What can God do for you? Also on the table, there's some paper copies of a family devotional called The Light of Easter. It's a great thing for you and your family to do. Every family encouraged to go grab one. There's little bags next to it. In the bags are candles. So those go with the family advent. They don't go with the book. The candles go with the family uh, Easter devotional. It's kind of like a backwards advent. So in advent, we light candles. This one, you blow out candles to kind of lead to the story of Easter. It's pretty cool. And trust me, I've got four kids. I don't want something that's going to take a lot of time. And I'm not a crafty person, so I'm not looking at stuff to cut out and hang up. So this one's great. You can do it. It's one activity a week. You can pick whatever day of week you want to do it. But I'm encouraging you to do that with your family, to grab one of these books. All right? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are involved in our lives. You're not just the creator who created everything and stepped out of the picture and tried to let us figure out things on our own. You're involved in our lives. You've given us instruction, guidance, wisdom, and how to live this life to its fullest. God, we thank you for that. God, we need your help to get out of the place where we're at. We need the energy and the excitement to want to spend time in your word. God, I hope this morning that we would understand what you can do for us. It's about us worshiping you, but you care so much that you want us to succeed. You've given us the tools to succeed. May we spend time reading and hearing from you. In Jesus' name, amen.